That's right. I can't believe I'm covering this. But hey, do you think internal medicine or orthopedics is going to cover this? It is, after all, gynecology. And it's actually not infrequently that I receive a question around this topic from our young reproductive age patients in the clinic. Yep, in this session, we're covering female orgasmic activity, female ejaculation, and this whole issue of female squirting. Let's get to it now. As always, you know, I like to start with a little bit of history to let us know where we've been and where we've gotten to now. A lot of the work on human sexuality was pioneered back in the late 1950s and really took off in the 1960s and 70s by two leading researchers out of Washington University in St. Louis. We're talking about William Masters and Virginia Johnson, or Masters and Johnson. They pioneered research into the nature of the human sexual response and the diagnosis and treatment of sexual disorders. Now, once again, they actually started in 1957, and a lot of their research was then called controversial, but it actually added a lot of insight into previously misunderstood phenomenon. Now, in the initial phase of Masters and Johnson studies, from about 1957 until about 65, they recorded some of the first laboratory data on the anatomy and physiology of human sexual response based on direct observation. Yeah, you take that for what it's worth, direct observation. But their data actually helped clarify the issue of female sexual arousal and things like vaginal lubrication. Actually, their work regarding vaginal lubrication proved that lubrication came from the vaginal walls, debunking the earlier and widely held notion that vaginal lubrication originated from the cervix. Masters and Johnsons also helped shine new light on previously held notions of female sexuality, first put out by Sigmund Freud. Yep, Sigmund Freud, the psychiatrist. Now, what Sigmund Freud proposed was that there was two types of female orgasm, vaginal and clitoral. However, Masters and Johnsons data showed that the anatomical and physiology of orgasmic response was actually identical, whether stimulation was clitoral or vaginal. Of course, they're well known for proposing the four-stage model of the female or male human sexual response, and they said that it was a linear progression from excitement and arousal going on to the plateau phase, which was full arousal but just before orgasm, and this preceded the orgasmic phase, and then the last was, of course, resolution. Once again, this was the Masters and Johnson proposed linear scale of the human sexual response going from excitement and arousal to plateau, orgasm, and then ending in resolution. Ah, but shortly after the published work of Masters and Johnson, other scholars began to criticize their model of the human sexual response. For example, Helen 
Kaplan argued that Masters and Johnson's only evaluated sexual response from a physiological perspective and didn't take into account psychosocial, emotional, and cognitive factors. Similarly, Rosemary Basson, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, proposed an alternative model for sexual response. She argued that the linear model was good at explaining men's responses, but it didn't do it justice when it comes to women's sexual response. She proposed a circular model stating that closeness or intimacy or attachment to a partner helps to increase the effectiveness of sexual stimulation. This leads to enhanced sexual interest and arousal and then ultimately can result in orgasm. Now that the history is in perspective, let's follow up with the physiological changes like wetness or lubrication, female ejaculation, and we're going to discuss this issue of the squirting phenomenon. Believe it or not, there's actually data about that. Let's get to that next. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's review, in general, the three types of categories that we're addressing here. The first is normal vaginal lubrication. The second is urethral discharge, commonly referred to as ejaculation. And then large amount of clear fluid loss through the urethra, which is the squirting phenomenon. Well, let's take a look at vaginal lubrication first. Remember that as part of the natural and normal physiological response to sexual arousal, there is an increase in blood pressure and vasocongestion around the perivaginal plexus. This causes a sweating type of reaction of transudative fluid leaking through the vaginal walls. Remember that vaginal lubrication with sexual stimulation comes from the vaginal walls itself. This, however, is generally clear, odorless, and somewhat slippery and maybe mucus-like. This is regular vaginal lubrication known as vaginal wetness. However, this whole issue of ejaculation is actually something entirely different. Female ejaculation, however, is something completely different. So remember, vaginal lubrication comes from the vaginal canal itself, whereas ejaculation comes from the urethra, and this can be divided into two types, the release of milky white secretions or the release of larger amount of clear fluid. We'll get into this in just a minute. First, we have to define something and make something clear. Female ejaculation is considered by most sexologists to be separate from normal vaginal lubrication or wetness, and it's a separate issue from squirting. Some women express liquid from their urethra when they climax, and this consists of this small amount of this milky white fluid, and technically that's what research has labeled the female ejaculate. However, when squirting occurs, it usually represents a larger amount of fluid. Researchers now have more data and are closer to defining this controversial phenomenon. 
Now, the urethral female orgasmic fluid from the skein's glands can sometimes eject under pressure, and this can resemble male ejaculation. Again, the source of this milky white secretion is largely attributed to the periurethral glands known as the skein's glands. In the 1880s, Alexander Skeen discovered the first two periurethral glands, obviously called the Skeen's glands. Skeen documented that the glands he discovered produce a little bit of fluid. Since then, several other periurethral glands have been identified and they actually make up kind of a cavernous system around the distal urethra. The glands arrangement and the fact that they produce fluid containing PSA-like proteins reminded researchers of the prostate. So because of that, some sexologists have called these glands the female prostate, but that name has not caught on on traditional medical and scientific circles. Now, authors Pasteur and Chamel in the International Eurogen Journal in 2018 published a study aimed at explaining this ejaculate versus squirting occurrence. According to these authors, female ejaculation is a secretion of a few milliliters of thick, milky fluid by the female prostate, again, that's the skein's glands, during orgasm or sexual stimulation. This contains prostate-specific antigen. Squirting, however, is defined as the orgasmic transurethral expulsion of tens of milliliters of a form of urine containing various concentrations of urea, creatinine, and uric acid. Overall, these these authors concluded that female ejaculation and squirting were two different phenomenon with different mechanisms. So this brings us to loss of urine during sex or orgasm. Coital incontinence could be classified as penetrative or orgasmic forms. This can be associated with stress urinary incontinence or detrusor hyperactivity brought about by bladder trigone trauma from vaginal penetration or stimulation of the anterior vaginal wall. Now, in 2014, Salama et al. in the Journal of Sexual Medicine looked at the chemical makeup of this liquid released when seven women squirted during sex. So let's say that again. This is a weird study, and we're going to describe it in a minute. But remember, we're talking about a total subject pool of seven. The women went to the toilet to empty their bladders prior to sex, and scans showed that their bladders were in fact empty. That urine also had chemicals studied. After the women became sexually aroused, either alone or with a partner, they had another ultrasound performed of their bladder, and it showed that their bladders had refilled a noticeable amount. Although the author stated that sexual stimulation called the bladder to refill, it was noted by critics that at times women took anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes of self-stimulation and that's ample time for the bladder to refill. Then, after orgasmic activity and squirting occurred in these seven women, ultrasounds again showed that the women's bladders were in fact empty. So this supported the notion that liquid released is urine during the orgasmic activity. Now, these authors concluded that there's actually a difference between squirting, which is typically urine, and female ejaculation, which is fluid released not from the bladder, but from the skein's glands. Now, here's how they came up with that information. 
these researchers analyzed the components of the fluid lost, and it had components of typical urine, urea, creatinine, and uric acid. This was visible in the liquid squirted during orgasm. However, after squirting, the liquid also contained in five of the seven women prostate-specific antigen, PSA, like substances, and this was not present in the urine sample before stimulation occurred. This suggests that PSA, referred to as that female ejaculate, is something different to squirting, but can be found in the liquid squirted in some individuals. This fluid also contained glucose and fructose, and this fluid differs from a woman's usual secretions during arousal. So is this common? Well, not all women experience any sort of ejaculation of liquid at orgasm. In fact, studies looking at the percentage of women that report squirting during orgasm show varying results, ranging from 5% up to 60% of women surveyed. Davidson et al. published in 2008 in their Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy that those who reported orgasming from inside the vagina, specifically with G-spot activation, were more likely to report a spurt of fluid at the moment of orgasm. Because the G-spot is thought to lie just under the trigone, it was thought that this actually represented bladder detrusor activity from the anterior wall stimulation. Some experts believe that, actually, all women do ejaculate, but most aren't aware of it because the fluid often flows backwards into the bladder from the urethra instead of outside the body. This, of course, is difficult to verify scientifically. The remaining mysteries surrounding this phenomenon are whether or not it serves any kind of adaptive function and why so few women are able to do it. Researchers think it could have to do with perhaps some women not producing PSA at all, or maybe the size and shape of the individual's skein's glands come into play. Well, that may be one of my weirdest podcasts yet. So we have covered normal vaginal lubrication, which is typical for almost all women with sexual stimulation and arousal. And we've covered two different types of urethral discharge, female ejaculatory fluid, which typically is white and milky and is thought to come from the skein's glands, and this issue and phenomenon of squirting, which is thought to be linked to bladder stimulation and urine loss. So what do we know? The main important thing is to remember to tell patients that whether you squirt during sex or have female ejaculation or not, that shouldn't detract from the woman's overall sexual pleasure and experience. And by no means does the absence of these occurrences take away from her overall intimacy and sexual pleasure at time of sexual stimulation. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.